Okay, let's get going. Uh, Genesis, uh, the foundation book of the Bible. This is lesson number 48. And uh, we will be uh, studying uh, beginning in chapter 46 of Genesis, if you're following in your Bible. And of course, as always, we'll be uh, putting the scriptures and the uh, other information up on the TV as we go along. All right, well in our, in our last lesson, we, uh, we have witnessed the reconciliation of Joseph and his, his uh, brothers after 20 years of separation and a long and involved scheme you know, to test their character, test their repentance. I mean, this has taken months, years actually, this back and forth uh, business. Uh, the Bible also describes Jacob, um, calls him Israel, uh, as he departs from the land of his birth uh, and the land of promise to go to Egypt in order to be reunited with his long lost son, and of course to avoid the, uh, the destruction that the famine was bringing on to the, uh, to the land. Of course, God appeared to him and um, uh, uh, you know, renewed the promise to bless him and to bring his family back one day. Because remember, we mentioned you know, he, he was hesitant to go to Egypt even though you know, the possibility of seeing his son was there because God had told him to remain in Canaan. Uh, but God speaks to him and encourages him, and so uh, Jacob, or Israel, uh, is encouraged to go forward. And so the entire family, including 70 key individuals, go to Egypt, and the portion of Abraham's history in the land of Canaan, down to Jacob, uh, is closed for now. This sets the scene for the the final episode in this story, the meeting of Jacob and his long lost son, and the settling of the family in Egypt. So we pick up the story in chapter 46, beginning in verse 28, so let's start reading there, shall we? It says, now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. A very touching scene. Again, I repeat over and over again, human nature, you know, exactly the same. The story thousands of years ago uh, took place thousands of year, years ago, and yet we can immediately relate to the emotional experience that these men were having at the time. So by now, Judah is the recognized leader of the family, and as this, uh, the text says, he is sent ahead to advise Joseph of the arrival of the family. Jacob had been advised to go to the land of Goshen. Uh, this is not where Joseph's headquarters were situated, but he wasn't sure where you know, in that place to settle. So when they meet, it is the melting away of 22 years of sorrow and pain in the joy of seeing each other once again. So we continue reading the text. It says in verse 31, Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. 
when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, you are servants. Uh, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is loathsome to the, uh, to the Egyptians. So you know, now that the reunion has been achieved, the practical matters of where to live and where to be settled uh, are going to be um, resolved. Now the Pharaoh, uh, the Pharaoh knew that they were coming, but the issue of where they would live was not yet confirmed with him. You know, Ju uh, Joseph, he instructs them to stress their occupation as shepherds for two reasons. One, uh, this will emphasize their need to live in an area that can support their lifestyle. You know, there needs to be graze land, grazing land. And Goshen was near and it was similar to, uh, to Canaan. Uh, and secondly, as the text says, the Egyptians hated shepherds and actually considered them superior uh, to uh, consider themselves superior to shepherds. So by noting this fact, um, uh, there would be an extra effort to isolate them so they would not intermarry or be assimilated with the Egyptian population. I mean, the Pharaoh would want this. We know that God wants this, of course, you know, for other reasons, but also the Pharaoh would not want uh, this group of foreigners to mix with uh, his own people. So the fact that they you know, want to live in this area, more isolated area, uh, you know, fell, uh, you know, was within his plan as well. So this, uh, as we say, would work favorably into Joseph and God's plan to keep the family of Jacob separate from the, Egyptian, uh, the Egyptians' race as well. And last time we talked about the advantages that this would provide the family. So now we have the, the, the scene where Jacob and the Pharaoh uh, are uh, speaking one to another, making arrangements. Uh, in chapter 47, beginning in verse one, it says, Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of uh, Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my uh, livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? All right, so uh, we went a little farther here. Just the first six verses we want to talk about first. At first, um, uh, Jacob brings his five brothers to make a formal introduction to the Pharaoh. And uh, even though Joseph was a, a high official, he couldn't actually give the land away to foreigners. The king still had to approve any foreigners actually living and settling in the land. So the brothers explained their background and their need for grazing land, which will suit the Pharaoh well, as we mentioned before. Uh, and Goshen, of course, was a, uh, an isolated place 
uh, and it allowed him to grant Joseph's request without compromising uh, Egyptian social standards. So it was a, what we'd say today, it was a win-win situation for both uh, the Pharaoh and Joseph and uh, Jacob and the family. Note that the brothers say that they have only come to sojourn. Uh, and this term means, to sojourn means to stay for a little while. The Pharaoh knows that the famine is going to last for only a few more years, and so the offer of hospitality will only be for a short while uh, from his and from their perspective. They think we're only going to be here a little while because they say you know, we're here to sojourn. And he thinks, he knows, because he knows the famine's going to last another five years or so, he knows kind of the time limit of uh, uh, you know, the amount of time that they're going to stay uh, in his uh, country. So this meeting is agreeable and the king permits Joseph's request that they stay in the land of uh, Goshen. And then it says, uh, then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many uh, years have you lived? Uh, so Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out uh, from his uh, presence. What, a, what an interesting meeting between two uh, individuals of that time. You have the greatest ruler of the day who meets the greatest servant of God of the day. And it's, it's interesting to note several things about what very little conversation was preserved by Joseph about that particular meeting. Pharaoh, on one hand, was uh, extremely wealthy and powerful. However, he recognized Jacob's spiritual superiority in allowing himself to be blessed not once but twice by him. And of course we see Pharaoh asking about Jacob's age, such a common and polite question in a meeting of two strangers, especially one individual meeting a very aged man before him. You know, how old are you? you know, we do that today. Again, you know, human nature, human interaction, so similar, even that far back. And so uh, Jacob goes out of the presence of the Pharaoh, the, the, the land issue is settled. We move on here, verse 11. It says, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh has or, had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all of his father's household with food according to their little ones. So they settled in the northeastern section, away from the bulk of the population, which was in the south and in the west. They were near the Nile River so that they could fish, another source of food. They also received their ration of food according to their number of children. So they had a steady food, they had grazing land for their flocks, they had the river for fresh fish, they were isolated so that they could you know, uh, remain uh, you know, one group, not intermarry, uh, the best of situations considering the problems that were taking place. So now uh, the, the text is going to continue to describe the effects of the, uh, of, the, um, of the famine. 
and verses 13 all the way down to 21, we're not going to, we're not going to read that, just let me give you the information that is contained there. As I say, it continues to describe the effects of the famine. The people eventually run out of money, uh, not the Jews now, I'm talking about the Egyptians. The Egyptians, uh, they run out of money, uh, they begin trading their livestock for food, you know, the food that was saved up during the seven good years. Uh, they eventually begin to trade their land. So this sets up a kind of a feudal system where everything belonged to the king and the people essentially worked for the king. And this brings up a kind of a dilemma that has you know, been suggested by many who read these passages. Some people say that this was out of character for Joseph you know, to enslave the people. But we need to remember that it was the people who came to him with the idea. So the alternative would have been you know, mass starvation. You know, what's, what, what should he have done? You know, trade land for foods, livestock for food, and so on and so forth, or let the people starve? Or there begins anarchy and rebellion and people storm the, uh, the food centers to get food and there's war. You know, that, that's not a good thing either. Also, Joseph did not profit from this. He had no personal gain here, only the king. And it was to the king's advantage to actually keep the people alive any way he could. I mean, what good is being the, a king of a country where the people are dying of starvation? There's no power. Eventually that country would be taken over uh, by other nations. So uh, uh, the writer continues to tell the story, the deterioration, if you wish, uh, of that society, uh, the, the, the powerful effects of the famine on uh, one of the great nations of that time. So we pick it up in verse 22. It says, only the land of the priests he did not buy, meaning Joseph didn't buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field, and for your food, and for those of your household, as food for your little ones. Uh, so they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh. So here we read about some of the details concerning this arrangement between the king and the people. Fascinating you know, uh, preservation of some you know, social uh, status and, 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 and uh, development here on account, of the, uh, on account of the famine. The priests, of course, were exempt by the order of Pharaoh, not Joseph, from this uh, you know, trading land for food arrangement. Uh, Egyptians had a state religion that was supported by the king, and this is why the priests of that religion were exempt. The people deeded over their lands with the condition that they were allowed to keep 80% of the produce for themselves. So this amounted to a 20% tax, which is actually not unreasonable considering the king provided the seed, he provided the food supplies during the famine. And the people were satisfied with the arrangement and it continued this way even into Moses' day uh, 400, years, uh, 400 years later. So now we begin to read uh, you know, the last days of Jacob. Um, and uh, since the condition of the country has been described, 
the scene, as I say, shifts back now to Jacob and the events of his day. So you know, remember I said how this Genesis is written, you know, there's a close-up and then there's a panoramic view, a wide shot. So we've just had a wide shot of what's taking place in Egyptian society because of the famine. And once that is explained, now you know, there's another close-up, back to Jacob, back to Jacob's uh, family. Uh, and this time, uh, uh, the writer will talk about the, the last days of, uh, of Jacob. And so we read in verse 27, it says, Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147, uh, 147 years. Let's keep going. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. He said, swear to me. So he swore to him, then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. So um, uh, hearing, uh, nearing his death and wanting to kind of settle his affairs, uh, Jacob makes Joseph promise that they'll bury him in Canaan, not in, not in Egypt. You know, the hand under the thigh, we talked about that, same gesture as Abraham's servant made in promising to find a wife for uh, Isaac. So Jacob had you know, been promised that the land of Canaan would be his. And against all evidence to the contrary, he continued to believe this promise. And he demonstrated it by wanting to be buried with his family back in Canaan when the, when the time comes. And so now we go to chapter 48. Jacob is going to be blessing his sons. So he's in his final days. He sends for his sons for final instructions to each of them. And Joseph is the first one that he calls, even though the promise will not be carried through Joseph's family. We know that the promise, right, the promised Messiah is going to come through Judah's family. Nevertheless, he calls Joseph first. So let's read what happens there. It says, now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in his bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. So, uh, Jacob begins by reviewing with Joseph and his uh, two grandsons the essence of his faith and the promise that God made to him. You know, his, his whole life spent, uh, 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 Jacob recounts to his son what the essence of his life was. Well, it's not very clear what I just said, right? So Jacob, let me repeat, Jacob uh, uh, says to, Je to, uh, to his son Joseph and to his grandsons what his whole life was about. And his whole life was about faithfulness to God. His whole life was about hanging on to this promise that God uh, made to him. 
and it was about his, his encounter with God and the results of that encounter. So he begins by describing that. And he goes on to say in verse five, now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their uh, inheritance. Verse seven says, now as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey uh, when there was still some distance to go to uh, Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So uh, Jacob transfers the firstborn privileges from Reuben, because Reuben was the eldest, right? He now transfers the firstborn privileges from Reuben to Joseph. And he does this for several reasons. First of all, Reuben was born, uh, born first, of course, chronologically. But Jacob had intended to marry Rachel and he was tricked into marrying Leah, if you remember. Had he been allowed to do so, had he been allowed to marry Rachel, then Joseph would have indeed been his firstborn son. So there's some of the thinking behind the transfer of the firstborn privileges and, 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 and blessings. Secondly, Reuben had sinned against his father by sleeping with his father's concubine. Remember that? You know, it was only mentioned at the time. Uh, you know, there was no mention of uh, consequences of that. It was simply mentioned that this took place. But here the consequences now are coming to fruition for that act. And so Reuben had sinned against his father by being with his father's concubine and also having a weak character. You know, on the other hand, Joseph displayed spiritual depth and, and strong leadership necessary for a family leader. And then perhaps a third reason that you know, there was a switch here is that God had foretold this event in Joseph's dreams, in Joseph's dreams, and Jacob was simply complying with the instruction of God seen in the dreams of Joseph, that the family, you know, that, that they would bow before him, the idea that he would assume a leadership position. So the firstborn also had a double portion and so of you know, the inheritance, and so Jacob does this by giving each of Joseph's sons equal ranking among the brothers. Just like Judah and Simeon, well Joseph's sons would each have an equal portion like them. So it would mean that when they returned to the land of Canaan, these two would each receive an equal portion of land. There's the double portion, if you wish, that was supposed to go to the, first, uh, to the firstborn, and that double portion translated into an equal portion for each one of his sons. So Jacob says that uh, any other children of his would be assigned to the clans of their brethren, although the Bible says that Joseph did not have any other children, so we only know of these two. So let's keep reading verse eight. It says, when Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. So he says, bring them to me please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him and he kissed them and he uh, embraced them. Uh, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. 
So Joseph's sons were young men by this time and they're made to approach their grandfather for a blessing. And Joseph, even though a powerful ruler, gives a tremendous example of love and respect towards his father by bowing down before him in front of his sons. So his dream about his father and mother bowing down to him is realized perhaps in the idea that they had come to him for help. Okay? So his, it, wasn't, it wasn't Joseph that went to his father for help, it was his father and you know, through his father, his mother as well, you know, coming to him for help. And so that's the realization of that particular dream. So let's keep reading this section, what happens with the two brothers here. It says, um, Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right, and he brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So Jacob rather, is almost blind, and so Joseph, as we see here, brings his sons closer in order to receive the blessing. Manasseh, since he is older, towards, this is my right hand here, towards his father's right hand, and Ephraim, the younger, towards his father's left hand. But what does Jacob do? Notice in the passage, Jacob switches hands. He switches hands here um, uh, so that he can put his right hand on the younger and his left hand on the older one. So when we, when we, get, the, uh, when we get the blessing, when he begins the blessing, at first it's a kind of a general blessing on Joseph recalling God's blessings on himself throughout his own life. And it's the first time in this section, first time in the Bible, that God is referred to as a shepherd or a redeemer. First time that idea is mentioned in the Bible. And so uh, Jacob prays that they grow and they be blessed in the way of their ancestors. So let's continue with the, with the blessing. Verse 17, it says, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. And it says, but his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, by you Israel will, be by you, Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. So this is where the, you know, the, the important part of this, the specific part of this blessing concerning these two young men take place. And so Jacob pronounces a blessing on the younger son over the older one. And, jo and Joseph responds to this. You know, he thinks the old man is confused. 
but, 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 but Jacob assures him that he knows exactly what he's doing and that indeed the younger one will have the preeminence in the future. And so in verse 21 it says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So uh, uh, an interesting little postscript here, as, Joseph, as Jacob gives to Joseph a special gift in his will. It's all right now that the, he's, you know, he's given the grandsons you know, an equal portion along with his other sons uh, to fulfill the firstborn, you know, the, the advantage of the firstborn to Joseph, but he also gives Joseph an extra gift. Uh, there's no reference to it anywhere uh, in any other place in the Bible, but it seems that Jacob had taken a large piece of land through battle with the Amorites. He tells Joseph that he can have a, a double portion of this piece of land which is situated in Canaan, a promise for the future. All right, so in the, in the next section that we're going to study, we're going to uh, uh, see Jacob continue pronouncing uh, blessings on all of the other sons as this, uh, you know, the story of, of Israel, of Jacob, uh, comes to an end. For now, let's, uh, as we do in, in most of these lessons, let's see if we can draw some lessons, some life lessons uh, that we can apply to ourselves based on the stories that we've just read uh, concerning Jacob and Joseph and his grandsons. Well, first lesson is uh, pretty obvious, eh? God's ways are not our ways. Right? God's way is not our way. You know, they came to Egypt thinking they were going to spend a few years, they were going to ride out the famine and then just go home. And what happens? Well, they stay 400 years. I mean, think about it, 400 years. You know, we think, we're thinking about American history, you know, how long it stretches all the way back there, but it's only a couple of hundred years. They stayed there 400 years. You know, their, their way, you know, that we'll be here, we'll ride out the famine, then we'll go home. Their way, it seemed logical and convenient, even a way to guarantee God's plan. You know, we're going to be here, we're going to be safe, you know, protect the family, go back to Canaan, you know, uh, get the land promise. But that's, that's, not the, that's not the way it worked out. That wasn't God's way. Our way is not God's way because we don't, we don't see the big picture. We don't we don't know how things are going to fall in the next four centuries. Because sometimes there are things that are happening now that will only be fulfilled, that will only come to fruition after we die. That's why our life is a, a walk of faith, isn't it? Our way is not His way because our choices are based, well, primarily on self-interest and limited intelligence but His ways are based on perfect love and perfect knowledge. We need to trust God even when it doesn't make sense because His way is not our way. Another lesson that can be drawn is God can prosper you regardless of the circumstances. You know, Joseph was in prison, but what happened? God raised him to a high position. Uh, Jacob was losing his family and possibility his, uh, possibly his life, and through this God reunited him with his long-lost son, 
and allowed him even to see his grandsons. So God's ability to bless us is not limited by our weaknesses. It's not even limited by our sins, not limited by difficult circumstances, not limited by the sins of evil men against us. God blesses because God is good, and God blesses because, well, He's able to bless. So what am I saying with this? I'm saying, so if this is so, then let's not give up on prayer for a blessing just because the circumstances are against it. Faith believes and prays for a yes from God even when all the circumstances seem to be saying no. Why? Because God can prosper us and God can bless us regardless of the circumstances that we are in. And then one other lesson, God chooses for spiritual reasons. God chooses for spiritual reasons. Notice how many older sons were passed over by God in favor of younger ones. I mean, Isaac was chosen over Ishmael. Uh, Jacob was chosen over Esau. Joseph was chosen over Reuben. Ephraim was chosen over Manasseh. And later on, David was chosen, uh, you know, David, the king of Israel, he was chosen over all of his brothers. He was the youngest. So God did not choose them for great service because they were young. He did so because they were more spiritually mature than their older brothers. So God looks at your heart to judge your value for leadership and for responsibility and for stewardship. All the things that lead to great blessings. So let's remember that in the, in the kingdom of God, becoming as a child in purity and trust and flexibility, being as a child in simple joy and willingness to help, this is what is necessary for God to appoint you as a leader, as a chief, as a head of His people. It was so then, it was so when Jesus was here on earth, and it continues to be so today. All right, well that's uh, lesson 48 uh, in our series. Two more to go. I really appreciate everybody hanging in for this very, very long series. We'll see you uh, next time.